mini-episode 1477 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1477. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with you. And we have on with us here today one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, my good friend Steve Callis. You can hear him regularly with our fellow friend and FDH Lounge dignitary, Joe Stazak, on the Callis Remarks podcast every week, as well as reading his great columns and checking out his videos at uh, westchestercountypost.com, where he is the sports editor. And uh, we have him here today to do a recap of the 2022 Kentucky Derby. We didn't have it uh, time-wise last week to be able to do a preview, but uh, from talking to Steve off-air, sounds like that wouldn't have worked for him anyways, because uh, he had a very busy week (laughs) right about the time we would have been doing the taping here, I guess, so it really wouldn't have worked for him. But with a historic Kentucky Derby, uh, Steve, we had to circle back around and tackle this one here and get into this with you today. Yeah, well, great to be with you as always, Rick. It was really an incredible derby. The old nobody could have picked it. And I'll tell you, I haven't heard this yet, but I was shocked he was only 80 to 1. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Rich Strike off the program should have been like 150 to 1 because he was on a five race losing streak. You know, he had just only won one race in his career. I understand how he was getting going, but this is the quintessential example of pace makes the race if you know anything 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 about horses you've heard that if you've been to a racetrack you've heard pace makes the race and i really thought and i'll get into it now if you want me to but i thought pace made this race Mm -hmm. not that he should have won he raced great to win and got an incredible ride from uh sunny leon the jock but uh i think this was so fast up front that you were looking to the back for your winner, and the winner came from the back, which is unusual in the Derby, as I'm sure you know. Yes, it was very unusual and uh, in, in, in many different ways here. And as far as how this all played out, yeah, there were a lot of different aspects of it that uh, made it uh, very noteworthy from, the, as you say, the style of the race, the pace, uh, to the way that it ended up going here. And uh, I want to say, as far as the 80-plus uh, uh, to 1 payoff here, that uh, one of our fellow FDH Lounge dignitaries and uh, one of our other great railbirds along with you, Steve Callis, Bob Glassman, uh, told me after the race he had a ticket on a horse because he has a policy that if a horse is a late addition to a race, he will get down on it. And so he did. He said, He said, said, I had a, a ticket for Rich Strike. And I got out, out of the day a little bit ahead. I go, how did you get out of the day a little bit ahead if you had a ticket on Rich Strike? <laughs> well, I had a bunch of other tickets, too. <laughs> well, please give him my phone number and ask him to call me next time that happens. <laughs> well, I, I will say this, though. And again, on the basic premise, one of the, you know, if you went to a racetrack and said, teach me five things about the track, someone would say, not to you, Rick, but to you, the novice, 
say, pace makes the race. If you think it's going to go fast, look to the back. If you think it's going to look, go slow, look to the front. And 2178, 21 seconds, 78 hundredths of a second was the first quarter in the 148-year history of the Kentucky Derby. That was the fastest first quarter ever. Right. The 45... 45 second, 36 hundredths of the second half was not the fastest ever, but it was one of the fastest ever. And immediately, even the announcer said, a blazing first half or something to that effect. And what I did was I wrote down, now, I picked on my um, callous remarks with Joe. I picked Epicenter. I really liked Epicenter. Um, but I just want to read to you, I'm taking nothing away from Rich Strike because we'll get into him once we get towards the finish where he wins it. But after the half mile, this incredibly fast half miles, they put up six leaders on the board. Summer Tomorrow, Crown Pride, this is in order. Messier was third. I would never pick Messier for two reasons. A lot of people bet him just because of the name. Mm-hmm. And he was in a six-horse race in the um, Santa Anita Derby, and he got beat. If you're in a six-horse race and then they drop you in a 20-horse race, I think you have to be shocked because you have 20 horses and 19 others besides you as opposed to five. But Messier was third, Zozos was fourth, Cyberknife was fifth, and Epicenter, who I liked, was sixth. They took him off the lead a little, but at the 45, 3600s half mile, he was only two and a half lengths off the lead, which means he kind of went with the speed, which means you kind of think he's done. And I just want to give you where the other five horses finished. Summer Tomorrow finished in 20th place, 64 lengths beaten. Mm-hmm. Crown Pride, 13th, 18 uh, less, uh, lengths beaten. Messier, 15th, 19 lengths beaten. Zozo's 10th, 16 lengths beaten. Cyberknife, 18th, 42 and a half lengths beaten. And Epicenter, the horse I liked, mm-hmm. <laughs> got beat three quarters of a length. By Rich Strike. Yeah. So when you compare him with the horses he was with, now he didn't blast out for the lead, which was the smartest thing they could do. But I thought he was the best horse in the race by far. And after the race, you've heard this before, he raced like a monster. He just didn't win. <laughs> well, you don't want to hear that if you bet him to win, of course. Well, yeah. But I'll say it forever. When you have big horses, uh, big amounts of horses in races like the Derby, 20 horses, which is probably the only one you have, I would normally, I wasn't feeling well on Saturday, I don't want to get into that, I just did a brief thing with Joe, I did pick up at center, but normally it's intelligent in a 12, 15, 18, 20 horse race to back wheel the horse you like to win, just in case a long shot comes in, and this was the freakish example of all time of this, because the $2 exactly paid 4000 and if you back wheel up a center for a dollar, I did not say you should, had I been healthier, maybe I would have. But even a dollar exact, it gets you $2,050. Those things happen virtually like once in a lifetime. It's the first time I've ever seen it. But to get back to Rich Strike, I went and watched Mind That Bird. I'm sure you remember 2009, Mind That Bird with Calvin Borrell. His name was Calvin Borrell, but he was known for going to the rail. And he was 50 to 1 in the 2009 Derby. And I watched the replay. The gates opened. He went right to the rail. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, it was a fast half. 47 and 1 was considered a very fast half. So you can imagine what in this race, 45 and 2 really in the old days. 45-2 was much faster. But he stayed right on the rail, right on the rail. He weaved through some horses. He found room in the stretch. And he came up and he won easily at 50 to 1. When I watched the replay 
and I, I, if I could have asked Sonny Leon a question, I would have asked him, did you watch this race? Because the gate's open, Sonny Leon's got the 20 post, right? He's number 21, but he gets the far outside 20 post. What did he do? He ducked right down to the inside. He didn't go all the way to the rail, but he got close to the rail, so he didn't lose a lot of ground in the turn. And then he literally did what uh, Calvin Burrell did. He just weaved in and out, made some great choices, some great moves, and I think went by a super, almost a super horse. He didn't win. But I think Epicenter is a top, top horse. And I think the other group of three-year-olds this year is not so great. Why do I say that? Because I think if they go, and I know we'll talk about the Preakness at the end, I think if they go at normal pace in the Preakness, I don't think Rich Strike is necessarily going to be around at the end. And keep in mind, I know you told me they're deciding whether to do that or not. The Preakness, as you know, is shorter than the Derby. Right. So they kept saying, the longer he goes, the longer he goes, the longer he goes. We knew when he went a mile and a quarter, he was going to be good. Well, this is the mile and three-sixteenths. I don't know if he was ahead at the mile and three-sixteenths marker in the Derby. And, of course, you don't have to be. I'm just saying... Part of their analysis, if all this is true, and these guys seem like down-to-earth guys, you might want to wait for the Derby and go a mile and a half. You might not want to race your horse three times in five weeks, which I've lobbied for years. They should have the Derby the first Saturday in May, the Preakness the first Saturday in June, the uh, Belmont the first Saturday in July, and then you can have the Travers up in Saratona, or they call that the fourth leg of the Triple Crown. You could have the Travers as maybe the deciding race up in Saratoga, of course, everybody wants to go with the old, you know, that's the way we've always done it forever. But you won't find horses except the cheapest of horses who race three times in like six weeks or whatever it is. So I'm hoping they change that. They're obviously not going to change it this week, uh, this year. I, I would be interested. I would think they would not run him unless they have real views that they can win the Triple Crown. And you know what? Maybe they do. He's the only horse who can do it, Rick. Well, yeah, mathematically, he's the only one who can't. Sonny Leone, I will point out, as a lifelong resident of America's North Coast, deep roots in Ohio racing. Uh, Thistledown, in the same metro area as me here in the Cleveland area. He's raced down in Cincinnati a lot, and the uh, Hollywood track in Mahoning County. Uh, I know he's raced uh, extensively there, and I believe he was actually racing in Ohio, I think maybe Cincinnati, the day before this. So the it day goes before, I, you know, I did look him up, and I knew you'd know something about him because he isn't from Ohio, mm -hmm. but he, uh, he, he's, he's no slouch. He's one of the top riders in Ohio. Uh, I think last year, 2021, he was like 11th in the country in wins, and I think one other time he was in the top 20 in purses, and you got to understand, these guys don't race for real you know, monster purses. Right. So for him to do that says to me, he grinds it out. He's a lifer. It was so great that he brought, I, I think he had his wife and his child there. Uh, the trainer said he doesn't know what happened. He fainted when they crossed the finish line. I mean, it was, it was the quint that they claimed the horse for 30000 I mean, $30,000, you win the Derby, where your share of the Derby winner is 1.86. Well, the owner's share. The owner was great. He said we wouldn't have entered him if we didn't think he could win. Okay, you and me, we might think that's a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> but he won. So, you know, this is the old, what dreams are made of. Uh, buy a horse, claim a horse for 30 and win the Derby in the same year. I mean, it, it's just an incredible story. And the reality is he did. I'm not saying there's any drug issues here. Some people have questioned that already because when an 80 to one shot wins the Derby and you bet all your money on the horse who came in second, but you bet him to win, what's the first thing you're going to say? Ah, you couldn't be my horse. How could that be? It has to be something. That is still the problem and the stigma that racing faces. 
But, you know, we'll see. They do a lot of testing. They, they disqualified Baffert's horse last year. And, um, you know, that's where we are. But there's always that stigma when the horse steps up and does that. And everybody says it's inexplicable because it's inexplicable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the flip side is these do, crazy things happen when you have an incredibly fast pace. And as I said, the fastest quarter ever in the Derby one of the fastest halves ever in the Derby. That sets it up for the closers. Since this guy and Jerry Bailey himself, Hall of Fame jockey Jerry Bailey, said that Sonny Leone rode this horse like he had already won three Kentucky Derbies. That's how good he was. If you saw him split Messier and another horse in the deep stretch, if he doesn't do that, he doesn't win. And he had the guts to do it and the horse to do it. So I give them all the credit in the world. I'll be very disappointed if anything like that comes up. Because uh, as you know, he wasn't eligible. He became eligible at the last minute. Sometimes these guys will just jump the gun a little and give him something because they're not going to race in the Derby. I'm not saying remotely that happened. Right. And these guys really look like straight-up guys to me. But, you know, we'll just have to wait a couple of days, I think. But all the credit in the world to Eric Reed, the trainer, and Rick Dawson, the owner. They And Sonny Leone, as I said, Jerry Bailey couldn't have been more impressed with this guy. And as you said, he's been uh, pretty much a lifer in Ohio. Uh, but his stock as a rider just went way up. <laughs> oh, it did. It definitely did. And we'll get back to Rich Strike because we have some more points to be made. And really, that horse is uh, obviously the dominant story of the race. I want to do a slight cul-de-sac here in terms of talking about uh, another uh, couple of prominent horses. So my FDH Lounge predictions on Twitter prior to the uh, race. And by the way, also on Twitter, I noted after the race, uh, all the dummies that are going to be lining up to look at claiming horses as the new get-rich-quick thing. It's, it, they're, they're, they're the new NFTs, Steve Callis. Claiming horses are the new NFTs. You heard it here first. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Hey, and this one's 30000 just, like, just yes. like Rich Strike was. We have to get them. That's right. That's right. You're, you're right. They will, there will be some dreamer claimers. But, again, this is what happens in horse racing. And, you know, I was more involved in harness racing, but this is what happens in harness racing. You buy these horses, every once in the blue moon, there's one who's next to nothing. And to believe me, 30,000 in thoroughbreds is next to nothing. Yep. And it just pops like this, but um, that might literally be one in a million. <laughs> right. I, I think that is a safe uh, bet there, so to speak. So as far as other prominent horses in the race, we talked about uh, the uh, second place finisher here, Epicenter, who you were uh, touting. So my FDH Lounge predictions on Twitter prior to the race, uh, I said 12, 10, 15. So I had Taba to win, uh, Zandon to uh, show, and ended up placing. So I was close on that one. White Abario, 15, finished way back. But it's a thing where, obviously, when you're watching, you kind of tend to hone in, uh, you know, on on the one that you picked. So listen, uh, you know, Taba got squeezed early on, and this is a thing where, and I know FDH Lounge dignitary Russ Cohen is going to be cursing me for bringing up Greyhound Racing, which he hates, but look, if you get squeezed early, right, that's destiny. You ain't coming back. Greyhounds ain't smart enough to, to, to do that, but you have Mike Smith, legendary jockey, atop this horse, and you're expecting him to find a way, particularly when you look at the, the, the way that Rich Strike came, when you look at the trajectory and the videos that have been out on Twitter the last couple of days, highlighting it from the blimp shot, highlighting the horse. I mean, it yeah. just goes to show you what a masterful ride it was for Sonny Leone. You have yeah. Mike Smith, an infinitely more decorated jockey, atop yeah. this horse, which, again, had only raced uh, you know twice, but was very decorated coming in from, from the two. I believe the Santa Anita Derby was one of the ones that right. uh, he had won. 
And I'm looking at this and I'm going, is this Mike Smith, the jockey atop the horse, or Mike Smith from Trailer Park Boys, a.k.a. Bubbles, with the Coke bottle glasses, okay? Because that a, a legally blind guy with Coke bottle glasses, I hate to say, who's never ridden a horse before, I hate to say it, is what that trip looked like. That was a brutal, brutal trip for Mike Smith. That was just something there. And, and, and you, you questioned me after the race when I texted you about it. You said, well, he's 56. Is it catching up to him? I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, when I look at that and I go, my fat and experienced ass could have done a better job than that, you know, that kind of tells you the story right there. So that. Well, I will, I will say my table problem was what my Messier problem was, which was there were, the Santa Anita Derby is a gigantic stake race. There were six horses in the race. Right. The reason I give Tabor a shot, and I don't think your pick was bad at all, frankly, is because he's the one who blew by Messier in the deep stretch. And when yes. you get to the deep stretch of these kinds of grade one stakes, that is the highest stake you can race in. Um, and he looked Messier in the eye and blew right by him. I was like, well, I don't know why people like Messier. Maybe it's his name. But you can like Taba. And yes, Mike Smith has still recently, in recent years, won top races, et cetera, et cetera. He rode great. Again, six-horse race. The only other thing I'll say, not to make excuses for the horse, but um, when you get bumped early and you're in a 20-horse race, it's very difficult to come back from that. I don't recall seeing it like you saw it because I wasn't looking at the 12 like you were. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the 3 who was epicenter. And again, not to blow epicenter to this horn anymore, but as you saw before the race, the number 2 horse really acted up and caused right. them to be in the gate another 20 seconds. Right. And that's literally inches from the 3. So I would have put that in. Could that have been an excuse? Eh, not really. But when the horse is acting up next door to you, uh, you're worse off than every other horse in the race except the horse on the other side of the horse who's acting up yeah. and the horse who's acting up. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I agree with you on Mike Smith. These things happen. I didn't, you know, I was looking for that article uh, that had what all the jockeys said. And you know what? I'm going to read this blind because I did not read it beforehand. Okay. But I just found it and I'm going to read to you. Show prep, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what? what what Mike Smith said. Now, where did so he? Oh, here it is. Mike Smith, jockey of Taba. Quote: He was a little bad with the dirt being kicked in his face, but it is what it is. He didn't embarrass himself. So we've talked about that in the past. As I said, you're in a six-horse race. You're either going to have no dirt or very little dirt kicked in your face. Yeah. And he's only raced, I think, twice this year or twice lifetime. I don't even know. I know he raced twice this year and won both of them, including the San Anita Derby, which is a big deal. But sometimes, Rick, you get kicked, a horse gets kicked in the face with dirt and it's coming from 20 horses. That's more than triple the number of horses you just raced against. That might cause you to back off a little. He didn't say anything about getting bumped early. That can cause you to back off a little. So... Uh, I don't know if Mike Smith is making excuses. He probably wants to mount in the Preakness where they'll probably go for the lead because when you get dirt kicked in the horse's face, you can't fix that between now and two weeks from now. Right. You can't do it. You're going to stand on the track and throw dirt at him. Right. Um, but, and, and just to give you an example, again, back to Epicenter who won the Louisiana Derby, they intentionally took him off the pace so he would get dirt kicked in his face. It was like a dozen horses, I think, in that race. And when he got dirt kicked in his face in the derby, didn't bother him. I, I I'm not saying they should have done something differently. Mike Smith is a Hall of Famer, of course. You can get in the Hall of Fame and still ride. And um, he's a top, top 
one of the 15 greatest jockeys of all time, I think. But yeah, he didn't have the best day. You could blame it on, you know, dirt in the face. I can give you 23 other reasons what it could have been. But if he got bumped early, that's a problem. If he didn't respond well to getting dirt kicked in his face, they should have done something, you know, in the derby, unless you're on the lead, which if you were on the lead, you came in last by 64 lengths, which is what happened to summer tomorrow. Um, you got to work on that before the derby, <laughs> not yeah. after it. Yeah, and that's, again... As, as far as Mike Smith goes, uh, I agree with him in the most backhanded of ways. The horse didn't embarrass himself, but with that quote, he further embarrassed himself. Right, he further embarrassed himself. Yes, because that, you, you throw the horse under the, the, the bus a little bit there or make excuses or whatever the case may be. Uh, I don't want to hear it. It was a bad ride by him. And uh, as, as long as I've already made my bubbles analogy, I'm going to make another analogy here that is just way <laughs> off center, but uh, this is what you get from me from time to time. In watching the way that Rich Strike finished this thing, and, and watching the blimp shot and the highlighted thing, whatever, go find yeah. it on Twitter. It's all out there. It's, it's yeah. very easy to find. What I was most put in mind of, of all things, and I had, to, I had to Google the name of it to look it up and find it. I used to play back in the day. I don't know how much it's out there anymore in any bars and restaurants. There used to be an arcade game called Super Off-Road where you would be in these off-road vehicles, and you'd be racing the other ones, and then you'd have these turbos. And then, like, when you'd be getting near the finish line, you'd want to hit the turbo, and I would jam it a couple times. you get that thing going, turbo, and a couple times I would just surge across the finish line from hitting the turbo. This is the closest I've ever seen that in a horse race, because the number of other horses that that horse passed effortlessly, I mean, yep. it looked effortless it looked like they were you know as my best friend likes to make with various analogies passed it like he was tied to a tree well that's exactly what it looked like here with these other horses so the ones that are saying let's go drug test them or whatever and i'm not suggesting that the the track officials said anything like that because they're just going through the standard uh, protocols and everything like that but for all of the the commentariat out there okay that's saying well this horse should be drug tested i mean it's a thing where I have rarely, if ever, seen a horse that looks like somebody is smashing the turbo button on a video game. And that's what that looked like. Yeah, and not only that, because I have a friend who goes to a lot of races who called me after the race. He goes, even after the race, he was trying to savage, bite in the neck, the yeah. horse who came, you know, the guy the guy comes to get the winner of the derby. Yes. And, and so even then, Rich Strike, after the race, was still trying to get after the horse who came to help him. And you don't usually see, you know, usually when you go a mile like a mile in the corner like that, you're tired. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't look tired. So there's lots of conspiracy theorists. I'll say it again. When a long shot wins a big race like that, everyone, especially if you're ripping up your tickets, are going, oh, man, something must have happened. But I'll say it again. These guys look like straight up guys. They were happy to be there. Maybe they really did think they could win. God bless them from the 20 post. I, I certainly didn't. Uh, but they won, and I don't think, you know, I think we'll know in a few days. But given that Bob Baffert got DQ'd last year, um, and that was only the second time, I think, for a drug test, um, I still think it's highly unlikely. And all I can say is pace makes the race, and these things happen in big races. They do indeed. And it was a thing where on watching this, it was it was very noteworthy to me the first time around on watching it that I had this kind of reaction of, and this was like even before the, the track announcer even said, oh, and here comes Rich Strike. It was one of those things where I think we all had the thought seconds before he mentioned his name, 
Like, who the hell is this that's coming up the rail? Because you're looking at this, it's a neck-and-neck thing, neck-and-neck, looks like it's going to be a finish. But when you look at the wider shot, and this, I don't think this is Monday morning quarterbacking on my part, that even if the story seemed to be the two horses up there at the front, uh, you know, again, when you've got another horse that is surging up to that degree, I mean, I, I trust that the track... Uh, announcer has very good peripheral vision and that kind of stuff here. I mean, it may not seem noteworthy, but I mean, again, at the risk of Monday morning quarterbacking, which I don't think I'm uh, doing, maybe if you'd have mentioned the horse even 10 seconds or so beforehand, like further back, but charging up like a maniac, rich strike, you know? Uh, I I think you're 100% right, and I can't even fathom calling a race with 20 horses. Right, I get that. But, But I will agree with you, and say his name was only mentioned once. Yes. And he was already by when he mentioned it. <laughs> right. And, but I think um, I think the other bias there is the two favorites in the race were Epicenter and Zandon. Yeah. And they were racing head and head for the length of the stretch. Yeah. So I think you probably had this little kind of bias. Well, here are the two best horses. Who's catching them? And I'll even, it's funny you say that because when I watched, I watched the uh, Mind That Bird twice. Mm-hmm. And similarly, there were two horses. I don't know if they were the favorites or not, but there were two good horses fighting for the lead. Mind that bird came up the rail. I swear that when the announcer was going to call his name, he has to pause and he goes, and coming up the rail, <laughs> it's Mind that bird. Like, because it was on, Mind that bird in that race was like 10 lengths behind the field at the beginning. Right. So it was unfathomable. The guy must have thought he was like making a mistake. Right. And I think maybe he said, he might have said his name twice. Mm-hmm. But it was a similar kind of thing. These things are rolling up the rail. And maybe in the back of your mind, you know they're 50 to 1. You know they're 80 to 1. Or maybe you know, as in this race yesterday, you know the two best horses on paper are fighting it out for the Kentucky Derby. Right. Had he not come on, they would have said, what an incredible stretch duel, except here came this horse out of nowhere. So I agree with you. I think it's a very hard thing to do. And I think almost there was a pause. There was definitely, if you want to have a laugh, right. go watch the stretch of the Mind That Bird um, Derby, uh, and you will laugh because he literally pauses. And if you pause for a second, call him the deep stretch of the Derby, you're pausing for half an hour. You right. know? I mean, it's just the way it is. But I do think you're totally right. Uh, sometimes it's hard to pick those guys up, but as you said, this guy was coming for a long time. And when he split, he had to make a right-hand turn to beat to get around Messier. He couldn't go up the rail. If he tried, he would have lost. And he made an incredible move. And maybe there, when he blows by Messier, like Messier was standing still, because he was at that point. Um, he was, you know, again, he was very close to the leaders at the top of the stretch, and he got beat 19 lengths. So right. that's like four seconds, 20 lengths. It's five, the, 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 the rule of thumb is four, five lengths to a second. If you get beat 19 lengths, you got beat just about four seconds. That's, you know, an eternity in harness racing and, right. and thoroughbred racing. So I think you make a very valid point. I don't know if these guys are really interviewed. I'd love to ask some announcers those tough questions. Um, but again, I would point you to the 2009 Derby and they'll crack up because a very similar thing, very similar beginning. And very similar ending, except mind that bird, he, he ran off. He won by like five or six. It was incredible. So he had a little more time. I think he might have said his name twice. Uh, but you're right. This this um, this announcer only said Rich Strike once. 
I was also thinking if we were like really good bowlers and degenerates, Rick, mm-hmm. rich strike, come on, what are we yes. waiting for? That's true. That's true. We are both scratch bowlers. Uh, so what, that, what's in the name? What's yes, in the name? that should have been the hunch bet right there. And well, it's one of these things where, and, and, and I do understand the notion of there being some kind of bias in the mind because that part is understandable because. As you say, the two favorites are coming down the stretch, and they're neck and neck. I, yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of people who understand horse racing history, what's the first thing they're thinking of? We keep waiting for when there's going to be a new age of Fermid and Aladar, and it never happens, yeah. right? So yeah. that that's the first thought, is that maybe these are going to be two Colts that are going to be running this classic trifecta here, and uh, again, it gets broken up uh, by the other horse in the race. But this is a thing where, again... The, the notion of these very high-stakes races, uh, you, you, you have the more crowded fields than you do for any of the other type ones here. I mean, you have, I would say at this point, I, I, globally, probably thousands of races per day. I say that to having GSN on my cable now and having that on as background a lot of the time. My, my, my knowledge of how much there is and in how many different places, I would say thousands of races a day globally. And, and going back you know, well over a century, how many of them that there's been. But yet, the high-stakes ones with the bigger field, that's more select yet. So you have to kind of analyze those ones separately. And another one of the odd analogies that I have in mind here, going back a couple of years, uh, John Bastow and I, the great uh, pop culture and fitness expert, uh, always go to break down the Oscars every year, and the red carpet and things like that. So the whole thing a couple of years ago, if you remember with Beatty and Dunaway, how the whole thing, the, the, the wrong, you know, picture, uh, best motion picture, and, and, and the second place one gets announced instead of the winner. Yeah. And, and I was like, this is probably, this is definitely the biggest awards show probably globally per year. And that's the main event. Best pick, best motion picture is the main event of the biggest, you know, awards show of the year. And this happens. What are the odds? Yeah. So in something like this, this is the biggest race of the year. So you, there's there's a very real chance that I'm being prisoner of the moment and looking at this year. But it, I, again, assuming that this horse, you know, and we're all hoping this, you know, passes the drug tests and everything else like this. Nobody wants any funny business because this has been a great story. But this, so I don't want to make too much of this in asking you this question, but in terms of, you know, even knowing that there's been thousands of races a day since forever, did we see something in the moment Saturday there, as far as the race that was run and everything like that, that is going to become a part of things? Because I never really thought of this much before, but I'm sure jockeys do a decent amount of studying tape of themselves and other jockeys and everything like that, like... Does this become something that gets embedded in the heads of some of the jockeys out there as far as trying to take some of this strategy and, and, and what you can do with a dark horse kind of hanging back, as you said, under the conditions, pace makes the race? I, I, just, I just wonder if this is something that has a chance to be influential as far as, you know, in some of these bigger stakes races in the years to come as far as how a race gets run because it was so masterful on the part of Leon what he did. Well, I think it does to a degree, but I think everybody, especially if you're on a long shot, they can tell me that they thought they were going to win the race, and if they didn't think he could win the race, they wouldn't put him in. At the end of the day, you got the 20 post and the 20 horse field, and you're 80 to 1. So the intelligent way to race that race was exactly what the, what um, Leon did, was go to the rail, bide your time, try and pick up horses on the inside. Don't be three, four wide around the turn. 
where you lose ground. And then, you know, take your shot at the top of the stretch. He's a one-run horse, and he was great. But again, we saw it with Mind That Bird. So, for example, I don't know how much these guys know who asked the jockeys the questions after the race. I know Jerry Bailey's obviously a Hall of Fame jockey. He didn't talk to him. I would ask him, did you watch Mind That Bird win the 2009 Derby? Did you watch type of the old derbies? Did, was it your plan to just save as much ground as you could because you were one for seven going into this race or whatever you won? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and had really shown virtually nothing, frankly. Now, you can tell me he's getting better as the, uh, as the distance gets longer, and that's right. fine. But I'll say it, I'll say it again. If, if they go 48 to the half instead of 45 and change, I don't think we're talking about him. No. And now, the other problem is, I think, if you want to be in the race, if you really want to win the race, you usually, not always, this is proof, you usually have to be on or near the lead. Mm -hmm. Usually. Right. Not always. And if you take back and do what these guys do, and they go a slow half, you're coming in 15th if you're lucky. Right. You know, if you make the top 10, it's a miracle. But you ain't winning, and you're right. not getting a check. So, and you know, the top five still get checks, in the, even in the Derby. Mm -hmm. Fifth place finisher got 90000 in the Derby. That's not bad. I think part of the reason you go to the rail is, yeah, this is your long shot way to win, but this is also your chance maybe to get a check. And then, frankly, if they go slow to the half, you know in your head, not tonight. If, right. If, if, if they don't go 21-4, and 45-2, and two, and they go what is much more normal in a derby, which I would say, like, I don't know, 23-48, or maybe 23-47, nobody's coming from last to win. Nobody's coming from 17th, like he did, to win. Right. They're just not. And so it'll be interesting to me, because if they skip the Preakness, now again, that's hard to do. You've got a pipe dream winning the derby, but you won the derby. Mm -hmm. So if you have a pipe dream to win the Triple Crown, this is your chance right here. You're not claiming the horse for 30 next year and getting to the derby. That's right. not happening. And they know it. Yeah. These guys have been around. So, but my point is for the Preakness now, the Preakness is shorter. So at least if you buy into everything they said, and I do, the lesser distance in the Preakness is not going to help them. Right. Now you can also say it's only a 16th of a mile, but it's still a 16th of a mile. Right. And I don't know if he was winning with a 16th of a mile left in the Derby. It would be very close. But again, it doesn't matter. The Derby's a mile and a quarter. Having said that, if it's really true what they say and they really believe it, they might rest the horse. It's five weeks to the Belmont. The Belmont is a mile and a half. It'll be the only time these horses race a mile and a half, probably, in their entire careers, all of them. And if he really gets better with the distance, then, you know, rest them up. But it's going to be hard for them to skip the Preakness because this happens for most people once in a lifetime if it happens for all. And it doesn't happen for millions of owners. Right. <laughs> they even have one chance. I can tell you if I won the Derby, I'd be begging my guy to go in the Preakness if he could go. But you'd have to tell me he came out of the race healthy, which is the most important thing nowadays. you got to protect the horse. Absolutely. And I think, by the way, and we've put to, to rest uh, the excuse for all time uh, of any jockey. Oh, well, how did you expect me to get to the rail? This was the freaking 21 horse, okay? 100% if, correct. If Sandy right. Leone could get to the rail from the 21 no, horse. you're right. You know. You're totally, that's perfectly right. And, uh, and, and I'm not compared, well, I compared the rides, but Calvin Burrell got mine that bird. It's like he made a left turn to go to the rail. Yeah. If you watch that race again, he's on the rail. 
Um, Leon didn't get to the rail, but he got close enough. Again, you don't want to go if you if you're four, five, six wide around the first turn of the Derby. You know you can pretty much mail it in. Right. If you're one, two, three wide, which he was, and you're going to get closer to the Derby, and you're just uh, closer to the rail, and you're just going to move up and split horses. Like you're right, the aerial view was fantastic to see how he did it. But a, you need the holes. B, you need the horse. And C, he had both of the above. <laughs> yeah, and it was something really the likes of which. I don't think we've. I don't think it's prisoner of the moment to say we've never quite seen anything like this before, and we may not quite ever see anything like this uh, ever again. And whenever we're going to have a moment like this, uh, who better to break it down with than you, Steve Callis? Uh, great to have you on here today, uh, going over it with you. Always fun to do it with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next time, Rick. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, and everybody, thank you for joining us here today for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1477.